Hi, everybody. Welcome back. I'm Jacqueline. And Alana. And this is another episode of Black and Yellow. Yeah, yeah. Welcome back, all my Black and Yellow brothers and sisters. Hello. Woo! We're back for another episode. And I think this episode's going to kick a lot of ass. I'm really excited so. about it. It's sure, it's sure better. <laughs> Uh, I'm so excited about it. And I we think that you guys will really enjoy this episode. We got a lot of great love and feedback on our last episode. Looks like a little bit of travel back in time into history is something you guys are feeling right now. So we're really, really excited to bring you this new episode. Um, if you're new to the show, please kick back, relax and stay for a while. We're happy to have you. If you are a regular listener, welcome back. It's good to see you. I'll put C in air quotes. Um, <laughs> But for all of you listening, we hope that you are happy and healthy and as sane as humanly possible in these insane times. Yeah, right. Oh, my God. Every day it's like something new, right? Mm-hmm. So before we get into today's topic, we're going to start the show with a little segment that we like to call Put Your Money Where Your Mouth Is. If you are new to the show. <laughs> adding, just adding sound effects. I love it. This is the part of the show where Jack and I call out a black owned business or an Asian owned business for you to support because as we say a lot on this show where you choose to spend your money is a form of protest. And we want to give you guys as many protest tools as possible so that we can keep the good fight going once the protests are over. So we hope that that won't happen for a while. We hope that the protests will keep going until more change uh, occurs. But there's no time like the present to opt to shop black or Asian. So with that said, Jay, what you got, girl? So today I am putting my money where my mouth Mm. is. Yes. At the Soap Kitchen in Old Town Pasadena. Yes. I know you love them. Yes. I love Um, them. I love them too. Talk about just so many, so many wonderful little things wrapped into a Mm -hmm. perfect little soap shop. Who doesn't like soap? Who doesn't like smelling good? Who doesn't (sighs) like feeling clean? Who doesn't like (sighs) a soft, silky bar of soap down your body? Jackie, Um, what's with all this word porn? Oh my (laughs) God. So um, I'm highlighting them because let alone um, them being literally me and Alana's neighbor, yep. um, we I've bought their soap. Alana's bought their soap. We've gifted them to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and the most, what sticks to me, and I think this is kind of has been the reoccurring theme of our segment of Put Your Money Where Your Mouth Is, is that, again, it's family owned. Yep. Um, and that really speaks to my heart. That speaks to my um, immigrant roots. Um, that speaks to my um, Eastern roots, all of it. Um, so um, it is um, founded by Dolly and her mom mm-hmm. and her dad and her brother. Um, <laughs> and they are just the cutest Asian American family you can find. Um, and also her her soap, she has, you know, such good education and thoughtfulness and mindfulness behind her soap because they're paraben-free, um, sulfate-free. There's no synthetics or fragrances or colorants, um, phthalates-free, and there's absolutely no animal testing at all that goes into everything. And they're also handmade. Like, you can't get any more, I don't know, original or um, down to the roots of, of, of what soap and the culture behind soap. Um, so her story was really interesting. Um, 
she always used shower gels and body washes, um, you know, uh, like everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, but she realized um, that it was actually filled with chemicals and that the thought of um, her having to throw away another plastic bottle, I think, also really got to her, which is in alignment with my values. Yeah. Um, also, I believe it takes about five times more energy to produce a bottle of liquid soap than a bar of a bar of liquid soap than a bar of regular soap. So, oh, yeah, I didn't know that was a fun fact. I didn't so, know that either. So, let alone the plastic, let alone the chemicals, and let alone the energy that you're using um, to do liquid soap um, is is uh, it makes makes a difference. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, her and her mom they run this little shop in Pasadena. Um, Old Town Pasadena, for those of you who haven't been there, um, they are currently doing contactless pickup by appointment only. So you can order online, and once you get to the shipping step, um, you select other shipping options, and then you can click on contactless pickup. That's such a hard word to say, contactless. It is. (sighs) It's a mouthful. (laughs) Um, Contactless pickup, and then they'll email you a pickup date. Um, so they're right by Patagonia, for those of you who um, on it, the cross street, I believe, is Union. Um, their address is, let me shout out their address for you guys. Yeah, they're Here, amazing. 25 North Fair Oaks at Pasadena. So literally in the heart of Old Town Pasadena. Right. Yeah. So. I love that you brought them up because we've been shoppers of Soap Kitchen for I can't even count how many years. And quite literally, when you go into the store, it is a soap kitchen. That is why it's called that. They make the soaps in store. You can see it. It's like a very cool science project that you wish you would have had if you had a really dope science teacher who was forward thinking and female. Sadly, mine were not. Actually, no, my biology teacher was. My other ones were not. But um, I also love that you brought them up because shopping with them is one of the experiences that I am very much missing during this time because I would generally go to the store once a month and stock up and talk to the ladies and uh, I just love that you brought them up their soaps are so good Uh, for anyone that's listening that has skin issues I am an eczema sufferer lifelong their soaps are especially good if you've got any sort of skin ailments because they are not full of irritants excuse me so eczema psoriasis any of those things um look into soap kitchen and i'll link to it in the show notes soap kitchen is such a great company and i really urge you guys to check it out once great for gifts especially if you live somewhere else that's not in california it's a gift that no one else will have and ah such a great choice jackie like yes i'm all about that choice (laughs) yeah i mean the fact that they've been in business for over 15 years serving our community um the fact that it's a mother-daughter duo speaks like right through my heart right um, i was gonna say one more thing oh and they have a little cute white doggy in their store yes you yes can't yes go yes wrong with that <laughs> where there's no dogs there's no joy and there's a dog there so there's lots of joy and love in that store for sure so i i do miss visiting like you said and that i remember that she just brought me so much joy um so that's my put your money where your mouth is, guys, and go buy some good soap at the soap kitchen. 
put a lot of money where your mouth or your dirty ass is and shop with Soap Kitchen. Oh, God, Jackie. Your selection was so exciting, and I am now feeling like, oh, mine is just boring and practical. But we're going to go with it anyways because... um, I think sometimes boring, practical shopping and deciding to shop black and Asian is really important. So here's what I mean. So I needed a ring light or I guess a ring lighting kit because this new world order of things is basically telling us that we will be doing more video interviews and photo shoots from home. So Mm. uh, as opposed to hopping on like a big company platform or store like a Best Buy or like a Walmart or like an Amazon I just did a little bit of research to see if there were any Black-owned, I guess, uh, uh, technical accessory companies. And I came across one. It's called 10K Ring Lights. It is Black-owned. And at the time that I purchased my ring light kit, it was 60% off. The sale at this moment is still happening. This episode will be coming out later on today. I'm going to assume the sale will still be happening. But hey, 10K Ring Lights. 10K Ring Lights does not pay this show to plug. So don't hold me to that. But I ordered a full lighting kit. So a ring light, a tripod, a little remote phone stand. And the box is here. It's in the other room. I will be very honest with you. I am horrified and nervous to open it up because I'm an analog girl in a digital world, but I'm going to have to open it up eventually. And um, they get really amazing reviews online. And so I wanted to call them out because if you are like me and you're looking for a new ring light, or maybe you are looking to replace your ring light kit or set, forget about Amazon. Check out 10K Ring Lights. It's black owned. It's go- The money is going to an independent business that can keep on going and keep on enriching. It's a individual neighborhood and it's neighborhood on the internet, if you will. Um, and so far, what I've seen of in terms of like the photo quality that this lighting impacts, it looks really great. So I'm nervous, excited to crack this box open and use this ring light. But um, Ooh, 10K ring so light. Yeah, I mean, who knew a black owned ring light company? I'm just saying like a little bit of research into these more, I guess, um, innocuous purchases or maybe they're purchases that you know don't make you so excited like I wasn't excited to buy a ring light but I was excited to shop black owned so calling it out 10k ring lights if you are in the market for it check them out they are definitely worth it and yo it's on sale right now a 60% off sale if you love a good sale check them out yeah I I agree I think Maybe some, like you said, something that seems so ordinary or simple or mundane. Um, mm-hmm. But I think the fact that you know that your money is going to support um, something bigger um, than you, um, I think that that goes a long way. You know. Um, yeah, for sure. Whether it's soap or a ring light, like you can. There's always a way to shop black. There's always a way to shop Asian. Also, a way to shop female. Let us not forget. Um, so no matter how big or small the purchase, Jack and I wanted to call and spotlight these companies out. We will also link to them in the show notes so that you can uh, check them out on your own yourself. I really probably will do a post as well on Instagram because I 
really need the women over at Soap Kitchen to know that we're that we're like fangirls, if not hardcore stands for them. Um, that's my like short term goal. But if you have a business that you want the black and yellow nation here to know about, or maybe you own a business that you want us to know about, reach out to us on Instagram or email us at black and yellow, excuse me, at podcast black and yellow at gmail.com. And we will set something up with you to spotlight your company or a business that you think we should know about on the show. So, mm-hmm. without further ado, Jack, what are we talking about today? Mm, so, those of you who follow us on social media, and for those of you who don't, um, I posted um, an Instagram post celebrating Vincent Chin's um, 38 years um, anniversary of his murder. That is a really mm-hmm. weird sentence. Um um uh a couple days ago and we've been i'm sure if you guys have listened to some of our old old episodes i've talked about vincent chin here and there um and i've always wanted to spotlight him and do an episode on him to really dive deep and talk about how his death has affected and is still affecting the asian american community to this day um so we're gonna you know dive in we're gonna talk about everything that happened it's gonna get a little gritty um and a little uncomfortable but for those of you who can stick it through i highly recommend it because i think everyone everyone um should know about this death because it's not just about vincent chin it's about what his death meant it's about the people who were affected um it's about you know all asians um and and uh important so here we go I love that you're assigning the adjectives of gritty and uncomfortable. I love that. It makes me feel like a badass. And I think our listeners can hang because I think they're badasses. Yes, I agree. I'm snapping in the air. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So time for a history lesson. So Vincent Chin was born on May 18th, 1955 in China's Guangdong province and grew up in Detroit with his adoptive Chinese American parents. And by the summer of 1982, he was 27 years old. He was a successful draftsman at an engineering firm and living in Detroit. He was also engaged at this time, about to be a hubby. And on the night of June, I God, I know. And on the June of uh, on the night of June 19, 1982, Chin was celebrating his bachelor party at a strip club with his friends, you know, getting loose, having some drinks, maybe a little bit of dancing and all around just celebrating his upcoming nuptials uh, when he was accosted by two white men. So the two white men in question are Chrysler car plant supervisor Ronald Ebbins and his stepson, Michael Nitz, who was recently laid off from his auto worker job at the Chrysler plant. I don't quite understand why his dad couldn't pull the strings, but hey, I digress. Uh, they did what most deplorable and ignorant racists would do. They assumed that Chin was Japanese. Let me reiterate, he is Chinese and proceeded to scream at him, quote, it's because of you motherfuckers were out of work. Because of little motherfuckers like you, a lot of Americans are losing their jobs. End quote. Now, before I go on with the story, I think it's important to understand uh, a little bit of context as to what was happening 
in Detroit specifically at the time to really get the full scope of why this crime was so appalling. So at the time, the D- the uh, metro Detroit area was really ripe with racial tension. It was pretty much a powder keg mm-hmm. because the auto industry, which Detroit was the manufacturing capital of uh, yeah. at one point in time. Everyone worked for some kind of yes. car industry at that time. Absolutely. And uh, the auto industry in Detroit was in steep decline and it was experiencing a very serious recession. There was lots of layoffs happening at auto plants and two auto plant workers. Uh, financial and economic insecurity was running rampant and people were looking for someone to blame. Does that sound familiar? Minus like the auto-ness of it all. Uh, the American car, which used to be a status symbol the world over, was not. And instead, sales of fuel-efficient Japanese cars and other foreign import, car- import cars saw a rise in sales. This effectively led to the closing of a lot of auto plants and a lot of people losing their jobs. And violence, displays of anger and resentment became commonplace. So common, in fact, that activist and author Helen Zia, who was also the executor of Chin's estate, had this to say. Ooh, we highlighted yeah, her yeah. Our, We highlighted Helen Zia in our... Um, we got to get her on as a guest. What did you say? We should get her get her on as a guest. She's so I, dope. I know, right? She's so <laughs> Yes, she's so okay. dope. Sorry, guys. Okay. We have to like add a little bit of levity to this because the story gets like heavy. So yeah. she says, quote, anyone who actually drove a Japanese car could get shot at on the freeway. That was if they were black or white, end quote. So just to give you a little bit of a taste of what was happening in Detroit on the Detroit highways. Um, It's also important to note that the Japanese economy was booming at this time. Japanese banks were buying up American companies, accounting for the sudden appearance of Japanese corporate names throughout the U.S. And this move was known among white racists as Japanese Inc. or Japan Inc. And for many politicians and underemployed auto workers alike, quote, the Japanese, end quote, made for an easy target for venting their frustrations. So now that we have that context, let's travel back to the strip club with Vincent Shin and the angry white racists. So fancy pants club. My God. What a name, huh? I know. Right. (laughs) I want, I want to join that club, but like, I want to really wear fancy pants. So after accosting and screaming at Vincent Chin, a fight broke out between Chin and the two men. A witness recalls a chair being thrown at Chin before the fight was broken up and Chin ran away. Ronald Evans and Michael Nitz hopped into their car and proceeded to search the neighborhood looking for Chin. When they finally found him outside of a McDonald's, another fight breaks out. When at one point, Nitz held Chin down while Evans repeatedly struck him in the head with a baseball bat, cracking his skull open. Chin died four days later on June 23rd, 1982, which was the day that he was supposed to be married on. Excuse me. And instead of attending a wedding, the 400 guests who were supposed to be wedding guests ended up attending a funeral instead. But there's some grittier, nittier details to this story than uh, I was able to find online. So, Jack, I'm going to throw it over to you because I know you got that good good and I want people to know the truth. 
Yeah, so that is sort of the story that went down, right? Um, mm -hmm. That people saw, that people witnessed. Um, there, There's so much around this case that was hard to prove um, to the courts um, because the fact that um, they couldn't find substantial evidence um, that, uh, that he was being a racist um mm -hmm. due to i think only only there was like only one dancer um at the club who had heard um evans um or nits one of them say you know it's because of you japanese um and motherfuckers that were mm -hmm. out of out of a job um so just the timeline in what happened so his death happened in june um 19th 1982 about just and this goes to show our court system, but almost a year later, on March sixteenth, nineteen eighty three. So not only do they do they have to deal with all of this mess, but they have to wait almost a whole year to figure out if he was convicted, if he wasn't convicted, what's going to happen. I mean, that I'm just thinking about that one year of insanity. Um, mm -hmm. So a plea bargain was reached um, because he did. Um, he did um, uh, uh, claim that he was guilty. Um, so after everything that happened, um, they were sentenced to three years probation, a oh, tiny shit. little slap on the wrist for a $3,000 fine and $780 in court costs. They never served zero they never served any jail time, any prison time. They pretty um, much got off scot-free. They did. They they did. Absolutely. So um, the judge, um, Judge Kaufman, um, what did he say? I have it right here. It blew my mind. Um, he said, these, these guys didn't look like the type of guys that would commit this crime. Even said, though they were open about admitting that they did it. Just saying. Right. <laughs> Just had to exactly. put that out there. <laughs> yeah. He said, these weren't the kind of men you sent to jail. Um, you don't make the punishment fit the crime. You make the punishment fit the criminal. And, I, yeah, I, I just, I wonder, um, I can't, I, like, as an Asian American, as anyone yeah. hearing this, my, I, I get shocked. So, so that is state. Um that's what the state determined, right? Um, a couple of fun facts as I get into sort of the, I mean, it goes on and on and on. Um, but in lieu of, 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 of what we just celebrate, um, his murder was actually fell on the same day as Juneteenth, for those of you African-Americans yep. out there. Yep. Um, the bat, the baseball bat that Evans beat Vincent Chin was was a Louisville slugger was which was coined by and made famous by Jackie Robinson who was a huge civil rights activist. Mm -hmm. um, the the men the man that they found to um, pay to help them hunt down Vincent Chin was actually an African American. They paid him twenty dollars. Twenty dollars is a lot of money back then. Are you kidding me? Yep. Oh my gosh, who wouldn't take that money? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, they don't get justice through the state. 
So then they try to make it a federal case. Um, Helen Zia did kind of lead the way, um, as well as Liza Chan. Um, and they really brought everyone together and really decided to make this a federal civil rights case um, because they could prove that it was because of Mr. Chin's race, color, and national origin. Um, so after everything that happened, after and, and, and the reason why this case was so important is because for the first time, for the first time in all of our Asian American history here in the United States, this is the first time where we are really, really, really fighting for something bigger than ourselves, really, really yeah. fighting for the injustice that happened. Um, Asians on the East Coast, Asians on the West Coast, Asians in the Midwest really came together to amplify their voices, to be heard, to be seen, to fight for justice for Vincent Chin. So it was the biggest thing that happened for our community in a long, long time. Um, and I think because Vincent Chin was so likable, he was such a fun guy. Um, he knew a lot of people. He was really popular. Um, he was really handsome. Very, yeah, very handsome. wasn't he? <laughs> oh, what a fucking stud, dude. I know. I like how in, his, in the documentary, Who Killed Vincent Chin, one of his white friends um, said that he had a bunch of girlfriends and I just cracked up like... <laughs> Just seeing him with like all these, like being a playboy and like getting all these girls, like way to go, man. Dude, um, when you look like that, you should. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so, you know, everyone came together. Everyone was extremely galvanized to fight for his rights. Um, and Jimmy. So Jimmy yeah. was, um, they don't talk about Jimmy a lot, but Jimmy, Jimmy was, Jimmy Choi was, so there were, I think, two Asian guys and two white guys at the Fancy Pants Club, and they were going out having a good time. Little did they know, you know, what goes down. So um, they also were fighting for Jimmy Choi because Jimmy Choi was also um, affected, and he also ran away. They were, they were able to run away faster than the two white guys twice. Says a lot. <laughs> yeah, it says a lot. Says a lot. Um, and so after fighting and... Um, being able to make this, um, you know, a federal case. Um, the federal civil rights case found Evans guilty on the second count and sentenced him to 25 years in prison. We're, so we're like, yeah, woo, mm -hmm, we did it, mm -hmm. we did it. Nitz, his stepson, was acquitted on both counts, so not so much, but as long, you know, it's more of a, still a win because the guy who actually killed him you know, 25 years in prison. Yeah, we're so happy. Oh my gosh, we won. Oh my gosh, we're doing it. Oh my gosh, he's he's getting his justice. He's getting what he deserves. However, after an appeal, Evans' conviction was overturned in 1986. Mm. A federal appeals court found an attorney improperly. So the federal appeals court found that an attorney improperly coached the prosecution witnesses. And he was smart. So he used that against um, Vincent Chin and... Um, and then the retrial that happened um, in moved to Cincinnati um, because it was just uh, because it was just so much going on, um, and then it became a civil suit. So they're like you know from state to federal to civil. So you can see here that these people are using everything they can. They're finding every which way to pin these guys down. Because mm -hmm. they can't get away with what they did. It's just 
not okay. Um, so then there's a civil suit. Um, the civil suit gets settled out of court. Um, March 23rd, 1987, which is, oh my gosh, five years and going. Yeah. Like this, this must be such a headache for her mom, his mom, who... Ugh who was alone she didn't have another child she her husband died i mean i i when i watch the documentary my heart just cries out every single time you know because you can see how much pain is in her eyes and she didn't speak good english and so on top of that it's like the language barrier and the laws barrier like there's just so much she had to deal with that i'm sure she didn't know how Mm -hmm. um so Michael Nitz is ordered to pay $50,000 and Ronald Evans was ordered to pay $1.5 million, $200 a month for the first two years and 25% of his income or $200 a month thereafter. But get this, he hasn't paid any of it back. Doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Michael Nitz did, um, but Evans mm. hasn't, hasn't paid. I think he's paid like a little bit, but like a couple dollars compared to what he really owes, you know? Right. Um. For a crime so, that you didn't shy away from. What did you Sounds say? Sounds like you should be, for a crime that he didn't shy away from. Sounds yeah. like you should be paying up. Right. You're so proud to boast about it. Right, exactly. Um, so, you know, this case was really, really important in our history. And I think it's important because we're not taught our history as Asian Americans. Right? Yeah. Especially as Asian Americans, if you have immigrant parents, the immigrant parents won't be thinking to teach you this kind of history because they're so focused on working. They're so focused on getting food on the table. They're so focused on on surviving to, to have your basic needs met. The last thing they're going to be thinking is about their history and what happened, right? That, that is a luxury for Asian American immigrants when they were first coming here. Oh, I never thought about it like that. But that makes total sense. Je- Sorry, I cut you off. That's no, really a moment all. of awakening for me. I never considered that. Right. Like people don't think about just because we've been here for a hundred years, but if you think mm-hmm. about what we've had to deal with for the hundred, the hundred years, I mean, we were the first colored people like banned, you know, like we yes. weren't allowed to come into America. Like, Chinese exclusion act. Yep. 1982 right. or 1882. Yeah. Right. The type of racism that the systemic racism that Asians have, have had to deal with is a completely different total beast compared to what Africans Americans face. Africans Americans by far, you know, have, have, have gone through so much more. But you can't say that they're the same type of racism because it we have there's so many minute, smaller details that that that, that have that we've faced. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that this country did not put these two men in prison says so much yep. about what they think about us and you can totally agree and understand and what that feels like yeah totally over and over and over again um so um so yeah it it just shows that this animosity towards asian people and and ironically with with what's happening with covid um the the truths are still there you know the truths are still very apparent that they don't really um care for us um and they haven't, even though they say they have, even though they show they have, even though they they boast about how we're amazing and how smart we are and we're a model minority. But when it comes right. down to it, they'll side with the white people, 
you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. Can I also say one thing? Um, because the, the murder of Vincent Chin and the effect that it's had is incredibly relevant today, and it very much matters. But before we move on to that part of the show, I really want to talk about Lily Chin very briefly for a second. Lily Chin was Vincent's mom, and she was incredibly vocal and incredibly visible and really helped to spearhead and lead this this civil movement to get justice for her son. And I think that's really important to spotlight because not only was that unheard of at that time, that sort of vocalness and visibility of 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 Asians in the media, that was not a thing that was happening. Definitely for an older Asian woman, that was not common whatsoever. Uh, she did it because she felt like no other mom should have to endure that. And she is absolutely right. And sadly, we are still, mothers are still fighting the very same battle that Lily Chin fought in 1982. And so I think when we talk about this particular point in history, as a woman, I feel very galvanized to continue to fight harder because here is this woman who lost essentially everything when her son died and mm -hmm. still kept fighting. She kept fighting so that this wouldn't happen to any other member of the Asian diaspora. But really, the effect that that action had was it in inspired a whole generation of people who were willing to fight for their civil rights to continue to fight. So she's very much a hero in this story. And we, we just got to call her out because she's so important. Absolutely. Um, you know, she, I think she fought until she couldn't anymore. You know, I think it really right. took a toll on her. Um, she did move back to China um, after everything happened after, you know, I think uh, in like the late eighties um, because I'm sure she didn't really feel like she wanted to be here. I mean, I wouldn't either. Um, Same. She has this, she has this good quote. It's like so simple. Um, her quote says, you know, she stated, what kind of law is this? What kind of justice? This happened because my son is Chinese. If two Chinese killed a white person, they must go to jail, maybe for their whole lives. Something is mm -hmm. wrong with this country. Um, quote, end quote. So, you know, to, to put it bluntly, you know, it's corrupt and it favors white people. And I think she felt so much of that. And the fact that it was just so tragic, everything that happened, you know, with his marriage and, and, and it being his funeral um, and the way it all happened too, the way it all unfolded was just, you know, it, it was just so, so horrific. Um, yeah. oh, there was something I was going to say about this. Another thing I just lost my train of thought. Um, so I just, oh, this is what I wanted to say. This is important because as you and I have mentioned many, many times, the whitewashing of history, mm -hmm. I believe, and I know because I've spoken to them, there are so many Asian Americans who still don't know about Vincent Chin. There are so that many- That blows my mind. Yeah. There are so many Americans who don't know about Vincent Chin. That one doesn't. There are also yeah, a lot of neither. African- Right. There are also a lot of African-Americans who don't know about Vincent Chin. And I think my, minorities, we do need to stand together and we do need to understand what we've gone through. And I keep saying education, 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 because once we can understand, then we can become one. You know, without that understanding, you can't fully be there for one another. I feel that in my personal belief, without like really going deep and diving in and saying like, 
well, what happened? You know, getting curious, having that inquisitive mind. What did they go through? What is that like? If you don't want to read, go watch documentaries. There's a ton of documentaries on Netflix, mm-hmm. um, everywhere, you know, especially what's been happening. If you really want to be an ally, if you really, you know, we talk about performative wokeness all the time, you know, yep. and like, like I said, you are going to get burnt out. So you have to educate yourself. You have to kind of be on this path of like, well, what don't I know? Because what many people don't know is that they're, they're they have covered up so much and so much that we should have learned in school. We did not. So yeah. it is now our responsibility to dig, to dig through the lies, to dig through everything that's been covered up. Otherwise, something's going to happen and we're just going to be like, oh, no, it happened again. I'm a victim of this country. And you, right. we can't do that anymore. We have to step up and we have to be responsible because there's no other option, you know, um, unless, yeah. you be, unless you want to be a victim of, of, of this society once again, especially if you're colored on top of that. Yeah, I think it's important to to remember that we don't we can't know the full scope of the possibilities of where we're going if we don't know where we've been and if we don't look into and really lean into that ugly and uncomfortable history that if left to white male history book writers right. uh will absolutely get rid of the story of Vincent Chin. Right. Absolutely. Uh, um this this story is so relevant and there's so many there were so many parts of it that I felt incredibly connected to because as a black American, we've endured this kind of racism based violence for far too long. And and sadly, this story gave me feelings of a mod arbory, gave me feelings mm. of history repeating itself in that way. This in terms of a mod arbory specifically, the angry white men who hop in their car and chase down and look for and hire someone to look for this Vincent Chin who was doing absolutely nothing wrong but for some reason they had a vendetta against him felt very Ahmaud Arbery the chasing of an innocent person and the trapping of that person essentially mm-hmm. um the time that we're living in and the time of the of 1982 also feel very eerily similar the unemployment rate was very high in 1982, just like mm-hmm. it is right now. Mm-hmm. Tensions and resentment-based displays of anger and violence towards Asians across the diaspora and internationally are becoming regular occurrences because of coronavirus and because of the widespread xenophobia that comes along with it. The inescapable scapegoating of Asian people for an international pandemic that they have no control over. I mean, we're very much living a very, in a very similar time to 1982. And I feel like it's really important that we shed light on that because we've been here before. Right. And we don't have to remain like the outcome doesn't have to be the same. Do you know what I mean? Right. Right. Absolutely. I think, yeah, I think you're absolutely right in which the things that have happened have led us to where we are now. And like, you know, history does repeat itself over and over and over again. Um, and I think the fact that the court, the fact that they were not able to find any racial motivation in the killing right. of Vincent Chin, um, that's all, that it's all there. Like, we don't even have to say more, you know? It's so obvious. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I I think reading up on one of the witness accounts from um, from the fight in the fancy pants was something akin to, well, the the two white men in question didn't use any racial explicit or racial uh, slurs. And I sat there and thought to myself, to say you little motherfuckers are costing us work, that is basically saying a racial slur without just saying the actual slur itself. Yeah. It's still right. hate-based racism, and it's still yeah. a hate-based murder. It's a hate crime. Right. Yeah. But we see that all the time with, with what Zimmerman said and oh. about what those what they said about Ahmaud Arbery just jogging the street, fit the profile of someone who was possibly going into people's homes. Like, over and over and over again. It's just so obvious. Um, yeah. And go ahead. Go for it. Sorry. No, no, no go for no. it. Uh, no, I was done. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm glad that you brought up that point about about Ahmaud Arbery, quote, filling a profile, because another reason that this story feels very relevant to today is because this story plays on the power and the danger of the age old racist adage of, quote, you all look alike. Right. Yeah. To, and to this day, you know, exactly like, like that. That is, you know, how I love the line that you say that. When people say microaggression, you don't like that phrase because the, the person on the receiving end, it is not micro, it is right. macro, you mm-hmm. know? And so over and over again, the fact that we are lumped constantly, lumped yep. together as a monolith um, goes to show the failure in people really not wanting to understand us. Um, yes, the, the failure of the government really not wanting to protect black people. That's mm-hmm. what it comes down to. Those are the results that we have seen over and over and over again. You know, the numbers of incarcerated black men like yep. they can't like it's just so obvious. And I think for so long, we some people, most people maybe just didn't know and 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 you know couldn't see but i think for the first time in a long time everything is sort of blowing up in all our faces and i think it's good you know yeah Um, for sure yeah so where is ronald evans now what is this tell me what is this old man all alone doing um so i believe in karma Mm -hmm. and as I'm reading all this, you know, I had fantasies like maybe his mom should just go and and then kill him. And, you know, what does she have to look for? Like I had like I was going through so many things in my mind that I'm sure you've entertained as well with what you what with what black people have gone through. Um, But like I got I got like pretty dark and I was like, maybe I'll do it. Like, you know, just like (laughs) just like crazy things. Um, I'm only human, um, but of course I would never. But, you know, I believe in karma, so I was like, there's no way someone can get away with this. Like, it's just like, yes, he got away with it in the system, in, 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 and obviously um, he's still a convicted murderer, and that's not going to look good on his record, and I'm sure he's probably going to have a shitty life. So um, uh, 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 his stepson was killed in a car accident, um, which I thought was Oof. pretty sad. Um and then you know when that whole thing went down his his stepson was only like 21 years old like and, i don't and, know if i knew that and for you to be 21 and to witness your stepdad flat out 
murder someone with a baseball bat and crack his head open and split his brains on the floor. Like that must, I don't know. Like, I mean, I'm thinking about it right now. If I were in his position, like, what would I think about him then? Am I on his, not his side? Am I not on his side? I'm so young. What am I doing at a strip club? Like, I understand the type of people, you know, that, that they Mm -hmm. could have been the class. And I just like, it's so fascinating for me to think like what went through this kid's, um, brain because yeah they, there's so much focus on on evans and because he's the one who, who actually killed him but michael was 21 and, and he helped him you know yeah i mean i think that's also a, we- a reason that it feels very ahmaud arbery esque yeah it because yeah, yeah. it was a father and son duo. duo who as a strange side note were were indicted i think they were indicted yesterday uh the father the son and the guy that uh uh videoed the ahmaud arbery murder um but there is interesting psychology about kids who kill with their parents mm-hmm. i wish i had done a little bit more of a deep dive for the show but to be honest i i when i thought about the the racist uh adage of you all look alike i did a little bit more of a deep dive there because i wanted to understand the science behind that not like mm-hmm. the 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 subconscious uh racial bias behind it but the science behind it and um there actually was a lot of research about it which i found startling but also was like okay i'm gonna read this i'm gonna absorb some of this knowledge but i'm still gonna call bullshit but apparently the the science behind it, it's like a cognitive phenomenon that basically scientists believe that if you in your young formative years did not have meaningful and there was another word for it, but meaningful was the word that I really glommed onto. If you didn't have meaningful experiences with people of other races young in life, you're less likely to be able to identify minorities or people who look different than you later on in life. It's called the the other race effect. And so, yeah. And minorities by and large people like you and i are a lot better at discerning and and telling apart people of different races because generally when you are a person of color or an other i i would also say you um generally have had more meaningful contact with people of different races than white folks so generally minorities tend to be better at deciphering um people of different races because we've had that early life upbringing in a way that white people depending on where they grew up and their exposure meaningful uh, exposure exposure and meaningful connections with people of different races that's what it was um you're more likely to be able to tell them apart it's less common for white people to have those exposures earlier in life those exposures generally come later in life but once it's happened later in life you're the foundation i I guess your racial deciphering foundation has already been set so fascinating i thought the same thing but again (sighs) like great scientists cool you did the study i'm still calling fucking bullshit yeah like how do you my question is how do you change that (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like I heard, I read the science and I was, I thought the exact same thing. Like, okay, there's a reason for it, but let's look for the solution to that reason. Absolutely. Because if you, Jackie, if you get in a time machine and go all 
the way back to 2017 to our very, very first episode. We talked about how white people generally have less friends who are minorities than minorities do. Mm-hmm. So when I read that science, I was like, okay, I see where you're coming from, but I am not letting ignorant white folks off the hook. Off the because hook. essentially, hell no, I'm blaming white supremacy. Because essentially, after reading all of that science, all these like science reports, I was like, okay, yes, great. That's not an excuse. White people, y'all got to do better. We've got to correct this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I'm right there with you. Um, Sorry for that tangent. Not at all. I love your tangents. So <laughs> um, after the civil suit was settled, um, they were ordered to pay. Um, I went over that. So they determined the value that he needed to pay based on the representation of the projected loss of income from Vincent Chin's engineering position, as well as Lily Chin's loss of Vincent services um, as a laborer and driver. However, the estate of Vincent Chin will not be allowed to garnish Social Security, Disability, or Eben's pension from Chrysler, nor could the estate place a lien on Eben's house. So, through a series of lawsuits, um, I'm sure based on having uh, been charged and, and convicted as a murderer, Eben's had difficulty getting a job, keeping Good. a job. Good. Uh, and obviously making money. Fuck you. So he, <laughs> sorry. No, girl, you tell him. Ugh. So he went back and forth um, between with Chrysler, um, suing them for um, for grounds on wrongful termination. Um, in the end, Chrysler won. Um, so the Chin Estate, however, at a 1989 hearing questioned how Evans could obtain loans for Dodge Van and and Plymouth Sundance requiring payments of six hundred and eighty two a month, yet cannot meet his two hundred dollars a month minimum obligation. Oh, I stand corrected. It wasn't Michael that died in a motorcycle accident. It was his youngest stepson, Matt Nitz. Ah, um, okay. Who got got killed, which was so terrible. Um but karma. And um, <laughs> but karma, and yeah. Juanita Evans, his wife, also lost her job, um, or quit her job after um, having to care for her son, who I'm sure um, you know was dealing with the injuries and everything, um, mm-hmm. for a while. Um, so then um, he couldn't find any work, um, due to his infamy from the Chin case, um. And on August 28th, 1997, the Chin Estate renewed the civil suit. So they're allowed to renew this civil suit every 10 years. Like, good right. that they did it. Um, they complained that list, listed Evans as having only paid $3,000 um, on the judgment and adjusted the damages with $3,205,604.37 accrued Ooh. interest. Wow. Right. So now wow. he owes a total of about close to $4.5, $4.7 million. Um, he is in Nevada where poor people go to escape. <laughs> um, I believe his, his property is valued at 150000 
However, I don't know what's going to happen um, with that. He is currently, I think, 76 years old. Um, and in June 2012, so that was pretty, what, eight years ago, just before the 30th anniversary of the killing, um, in the wake of, of everything that was happening, um, there was an article that was written about Vincent Chin, and the article writer, Emil Guillermo, contacted him. And in during a phone interview, Eben said, the only wrong thing I ever done in my life. He's saying killing, killing Vincent Chin was the only wrong thing I ever done in my life. So that's that. That's so if it's a wrong, is. if it's the only wrong thing you've ever done in your life, why don't you go to the local jail and get yourself locked up? Right. That seems oh, like just. Right. And he did. I, I was thinking about his life and wondering, like, wouldn't it be better to be in prison? Like your life outside of not being convicted, what are you able to enjoy every day you wake up thinking and remembering this? Every day you're reminded of what you're not allowed to have and what you're allowed to have and what you're and what you owe based on what you did, you know? Um, yeah. He told Michael Moore in 1987 that he would not give his detractors satisfaction by committing suicide. So, you know, this guy, if you look at him, he looks all innocent on the outside, especially during that era and the way that they talk. But you can see in his eyes that he is is evil and he mm -hmm. has done other evil things in his life. You don't just do one evil thing out of nowhere. The evil things happen out of all the million of little evil things that you've done to accumulate to this. There's just no way, you know? Right. So... That's where we are. He is free, maybe poor, um, and and uh, and and in Nevada. Roger Evans, I need to correct you on something. Do not speak for me when you say that you will not give people the satisfaction of killing yourself. That would not give me satisfaction. <laughs> right. The let me tell you what would give me some satisfaction: the yakuza tracking you down and fucking you up would give me some satisfaction would give me some got satisfaction that too oh who knows know. the yakuza and is listening to this show no <laughs> I'll, I'll, never mind I'll, <laughs> uh, I'll reach out to all my japanese man friends. that would give me so much satisfaction japanese friends. i know so <sighs> that being said i it is a glimpse i i imagine of of what we've dealt with as an Asian American community, it is literally a glimpse of what the African American community has dealt with for hundreds of years. And so yeah. I think through this, you know, we can see that we have a lot of similarities. And I hope for yeah. people, people who can't relate or people who are not Asian can understand that we've gone a lot of shit for yeah. quote unquote adapting to being white and that that it goes both ways. We need to learn our stories, our history, and we need to see that we are all one and that we all have dealt with some sort of this type of, um, um, what do you call it? Um, opposition? No, oppression. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know. Both. Yeah. <laughs> both. Totally. So. I am. Um I think it's important to to also remember in a case like this and in a lot of these cases happening um, lately when it comes to race and race-based violence, nuance really matters. Oh, and huge. I think it's important to just remember um, that there was a point in time where before we looked at 
Asian Americans or sort of the Asian diaspora that has migrated here before we looked at them positively as model minorities, as incredibly smart, incredibly yeah. innovative, right. incredibly well forward off. thinking, well off. Before all of those positive labels, the, the this country was incredibly anti-Asian and was very violent in those views. And before we ever began to appreciate Asian Americans, we looked at them as perpetual foreigners, yeah. always. We yeah. never saw them as a very valuable and beautiful stitch in the patchwork of our American history and of our American society. It wasn't until we saw what they could do for us. When I say for us, it means what Asian Americans could do to make white Americans richer, Right. that people began to embrace them. And I think it's incredibly important to throw that out there because the way when we have positive associations with people of a race, that then translates into positive socioeconomic success right yes but when we have negative associations that essentially can very closely be tied to a racial groupings economic um despair despair yeah yeah sure and anti-asian violence before has the uh how do I want to put this? <laughs> Our country has had a very long-standing history of Asian of anti-Asian violence, whether it's the Chinese Exclusion Act in 1882, putting yeah. Japanese Americans in internment camp. camps oh during World War II. Jeez. Vincent Chin, I mean, look, this sort of oppression is terrible. And yeah. I think it's really important that we are talking about Vincent Chin and the effect that his death had, which is essentially his death ignited a movement among the Asian diaspora here in the United States to stand up, fight for civil rights, and give a huge fuck you to all of the stereotypes that essentially have worked to keep them silent. I think I said this on the last episode as well, but this idea that Asian Americans are submissive, they are quiet, quiet, they are studious, they are apolitical. Those are all forms of white supremacy to keep Asian Americans silent. Yeah. And I think that that bullshit needs to stop. Let's also remember that the model minority myth is still incredibly harmful and is a tool for white supremacy. Yeah. And so we got to dead that myth too. It's not working for anybody. No. Oh my gosh. Yeah, people think it works for Asians too. No, it works mm -mm. against us as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It is a tool of white supremacy and that shit needs to be deaded. Yeah. Um, oh my God. This episode it. has you gotten me it. so fired up. We got <laughs> one last thing to talk about and that is our call to action. I know what my call to action is. Would you like for me to go first so you can have the last word or would you like to start the call of action? You're on a roll here, honey. So what is your call to action? Okay, I'm going to give you the last word. I'm going to say my call to action, which is also going to be the name of this episode, is remember Vincent Chin. Mm. Not only should you remember him, pass his story on. As you said earlier in the episode, there's a lot of people that don't know who Vincent Chen is, who don't, who've never heard this story before, and people need to know. 
it's it's a thing that black Americans, you know, when we say say his name or say her, you know, say her name, Breonna Taylor, say his name, George Floyd, we should be saying his name, Vincent Chin as well. His murder should be just as important and just as relevant and just as amplified as the murders that are happening today because this sort of anti-Asian violence is still happening the way that anti-Black violence is still happening. Right. Like, I want to I want to let folks know it's, you know, sometimes some people can feel like, oh, you know, Yellow Peril supports Black power. Like, oh, now mm-hmm. you're diminishing the Black experience and you're highlighting the Asian experience. And like, I just want to be clear that it's all one and the same, you know? Yeah. What happens yeah. to you happens to me. What happens to me mm-hmm. happens to you. And if we can approach it with this type of attitude, this type of mentality, this type of wholeheartedness, and whether white people know it or not, in a way, it happens to them too. It's going to come back around. It yes. always mm-hmm. does. That is the circle of life. That is the way things work. If not in this lifetime, in the next. Okay? Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm just going to be clear about that if you think that this is not part of your problem or part of your world we are all in this together so get educated learn about each other remember Vincent Chin remember everything that happened as much as you can and and you know be strong and 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 um, have compassion and know that you know we got to get through this together we have to face it there's no other way you cannot turn a blind eye to this you just can't yeah and remember justice is not a one race uh, fight justice yeah. is not just us justice right. is everybody the collective right. we right absolutely so we hope you guys enjoy this episode. We hope it brings more of you together. Um, if there are any, any of you guys that are, you know, in a in a, a biracial, multiracial uh, family and, mm-hmm. and or couples, you know, have this conversation. Talk about yeah. it, you know, because it is important, you know, to, to talk about it, to understand, to remember um, you know, all the way from where your ancestors came from to, to where your future kids might go. You know, your life here is 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 not just the one thing. It is because your your body will go, but what you say, what you do, your spirit lives on forever. So just like Vincent Chin, he's still alive yeah. in our hearts. So Yeah, for sure. Rest in power, Vincent Chin. I can't say that enough. And that's Ooh. it. Yeah, guys, we hope you liked it. Um, you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well at Black and Yellow Podcast. Uh, we are also on the gram at Black and Yellow Podcast. If you're interested in, in finding out more, you can DM us or you can email us at podcast, podcast Black and Yellow. Uh, I'm on the gram as Jacqueline Chung Young. I'm on the gram as Renegade of Fun. And guys, when you are hopping on Apple Podcasts to subscribe, we hope you do. Also, please leave us a little rate and review. It really helps for us to propel this show forward and to keep this show going. And we want to raise more stories about powerful people resting in just that power. So your rates and reviews really help with that. Absolutely, guys. Wonderful day. Night wherever you are. We love you guys. (laughs) Stay safe. Bye, guys. Bye.